Good evening, everyone. Good evening, and welcome to our Good Friday service here at Life Church. We are very glad that you're here with us today to celebrate and to reflect on the life of Jesus Christ. So Good Friday is a day that we as Christians spend time reflecting and mourning the loss of Jesus' earthly life. So on this day, we remember how Jesus willingly suffered and died by crucifixion as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. So tonight, we will be doing so by having a tenebrae service, which is a service where we will progressively dim the lights to walk through and symbolize the darkness leading up to Jesus' death. So as we read through scripture, we'll take communion, we worship together. Our hope tonight is that we can all sit in that darkness, sit in that despair, that hopelessness of Jesus' earthly death. So tonight we mourn that earthly life before moving to the hope of Easter. So in a moment, we'll be reading through some scriptures leading up to the death of Christ and engaging as a community in remembrance. As we walk through this service, I would like for, to invite you to put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples. So we're all here with the knowledge of what's to come, but that's not how it was back in the day. So put yourself in the shoes of what it was like to walk through. Let us walk through tonight as though we were there witnessing the death of Jesus, feeling that utter hopelessness the disciples would have felt. And before we do this, let me pray for us. Father God, today we reflect on the pain and suffering of the cross and all that Jesus was willing to endure for us. He paid the price for our sin and carried our burden. Help us not to take for granted the love that you show us through this sacrifice. Help us to sit in the weight of it all. Forgive us for being too busy or too distracted by other things and not fully recognizing what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for such tremendous love that you would walk this journey to death. Thank you for enduring this pain for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're starting off in Mark 14, 12 through 26. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house that he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reaching, reclining at the table, eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. Is it, it is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So communion. The festival of unleavened bread, as mentioned in the passage, in the Passover meal were traditions in Jewish religion to remember God's deliverance of his people from slavery and tyranny from the Pharaoh in Egypt. 
The festival of unleavened bread required the people to remove all leavened food and leavening agents in their house. For example, any, any yeast or bread had to be kept out of the house for seven days to symbolize the purging of sin from their lives. The festival ended when the Passover meal, with the Passover meal, where an innocent, unblemished lamb that would have been living in the house with them during that time would be sacrificed to cover the sins of all who were in the house. The people would then partake in eating the unleavened bread and drinking the wine in remembrance. So as Jesus is sitting here celebrating this meal, remembering with his disciples, he did something that completely flips this tradition on its head. Jesus took the bread, he breaks it, and he gives it to him, saying, it's his body. He takes the wine, and he gives it to them and says it's his blood poured out. Jesus is ultimately telling his disciples that he will be that lamb to be sacrificed. His body will be broken. His blood will be shed. So I want us to sit here, and I want us to imagine for a minute what it would be like for the disciples to hear Jesus saying this. This tradition that has been over and over, you've gone through it before, you know what the Passover is, and Jesus is telling you, this is my body, this is my blood. Their teacher, this person that they've been obediently following around for three years, he's saying it was going to be him. He was going to be that sacrificial lamb. I'm sure some of the disciples would have been confused, some would be shocked or a little wary, disbelieving, but they would have ultimately come to the place of sadness. Why does my teacher have to die? Why does my rabbi, my innocent, holy rabbi, have to be sacrificed for that exact same reason that the innocent lamb for the Passover was sacrificed for your sin. So as we prepare to take communion tonight together, I want us to take time to think about our sin, but also to spend a minute and reflect on the depths of love that Jesus would have had to sacrifice for you in this way. Consider the pain, the torment, the brokenness, the beating that Jesus tells his disciples that he is preparing to endure. How great the love Jesus would have had to have to be broken in this way for us. So I want us to take a moment to reflect on that. And in a moment, we will all take communion together. Peel the top layer off your cup and eat the wafer, and as well, take the wine as we sing this last song. We bow our hearts, we bend our knees, our spirit come make us humble.
36 through 56. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked, Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples 
deserted him and fled. Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 65. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another, not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. 
Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free? Open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper. What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We, we want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. In Mark 15, 21 through 39, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written, notice charge, the written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him, uh, among themselves, he can't save others, they said. But he, he, can't, he has saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. 
Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine and vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone, and let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. He said with a loud cry, he said, and with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw that he had died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. So as we said in the beginning of this Good Friday service, one of the things that I think is overlooked quite a bit is this, what happened before the resurrection? I mean, We don't really overlook it, but we do just read about it, and we really want to get on to Easter Sunday, right? Like, who wants to talk about the pain, and who wants to talk about the suffering? And because we know the end of the story, right, isn't it better just to move on, right? Because that's what we all want to celebrate. But I've said from the beginning, if you want to truly understand the power of the resurrection, then you're going to have to sit in the place where the disciples sat. Because there's a funny thing about death, right? So if you've ever been with somebody who was dying or if you've ever been around death before, if you've ever had somebody in your family die, here's the thing that you know about death. As soon as it happens, whether you're there with them or whether somebody gets you a phone call and you hear it over the phone, the same thing and the same emotions happen. And this tends to be for everybody. It's all of a sudden the world stops. Right? Like you were going through the motions and everything was good and you were going down the road and all of a sudden in that moment it's like everything around you stopped and everything stopped moving and everything that you had been thinking about in your day, everything that you had been processing all of that week, everything that you had been processing in the last 10 minutes goes away and all of a sudden something happens, right? memories start to flood in, right? Like if you, if you get it, as soon as you get that call and you, and you, and you get into that moment and, you, and the world does stop, these memories come in, just like it would have been for the disciples, right? When they saw Jesus and they came to the place where they knew that, that, he, that his death on the cross was imminent, that he was going to die, that they watched him die, I'm sure for many of them it was like reflecting back. You know, do you remember when Jesus first called us? You know, can you imagine him sitting in a circle talking about this? It's what a lot of families do when they lose someone. They sit around and they reminisce and they talk about, hey, do you remember when? And so I'm sure for the disciples in these moments is what, do you remember the time that we were called? You know, us as fishermen or us as tax collectors, wasn't it crazy that, you know, the rabbi, Jesus, the Messiah, called us, right? Or isn't it crazy that, Jesus, you know, do you remember the time when we went on the mountain, we ran out of food, and do you remember how he fed everybody? Wasn't that awesome that we could celebrate in those moments together? And you, you tend to reminisce about all of the good things that, that happened in that person's life, right? And you run through them. And part of that just is, is that you want to still hold on, right? That's part of the memories is, is that you want to still hold on to something. And when you're holding on to that something, then all of a sudden comes regret, right? This is what happens, right, in that that whole process. If I just would have been there, can you imagine the disciples thinking this? Like, if I just would have been there, if I just would have been around, if I just could have done more, if we, you know, that time when we were off doing something, if we could have just spent 10 more minutes with, we just could have had some more time with, we could have just went down that road a little bit more, and all of a sudden, these regrets start to come up, and you start to process all these things, because again, you always want the same thing, right? Just one more minute, and one more moment, and just a little bit more time, right? Like, that's what you want. And so that regret is, if I just would have done something. And that regret comes with this, is that you really want the situation to change, right? That's part of the regret. Part of the regret is to say, if I just would have, right? So if Peter would have just not cut off an ear, but if he would have fought a little bit more. 
If somebody would have took out Judas a long time ago when we thought he wasn't good, right? If we just would have went down these roads, maybe the outcome would be different, right? That's what happens. That's how your emotions work, and that's how you process those things. And then comes anger, right? This is the emotion of, you know, you have this, these memories, and then you have these regrets, and then you have anger. And part of that anger is, like, this isn't the way that it was supposed to work, right? Part of the anger that comes in losing somebody, and I can imagine these disciples. These disciples left everything, right? These disciples made a decision to leave everything that they knew, like their livelihood, and follow Jesus because they believed that he was going to change something, right? Like he believed that, that he was going to do something different in this world. And so they follow, followed him with this, this passion and this desire that they were going to be a part of it. They were going to be a part of the change. And they were going to be a part of, you know, whatever he was doing. And the anger just sets in because, you know what's happening now? You can't fix it. Right? There's nothing that you can do. All of your hopes, all of your dreams... Right, because that goes with death, right? Is that every one of these disciples, as they much as they love Jesus, understood that there was hopes and dreams that went with Jesus that now died. Right? Like the, the hopes and dreams of all of the disciples when Jesus died, now those dreams died with him. And now all of a sudden there's a finality. Right? And at some point in grief, this sets in and that those however, you know, the, the stages that you get or however you work through grief. But I think inside of these disciples, there was this finality that set in. He's not coming back. And when you know that, like this is what you know about death, you know, if you've ever experienced this before, is there's a sense of hopelessness that goes with it, Right? And the same with the disciples is, is that all of the sudden, when finality sets in, hope tends to go away, right? Because you can live on memories, and you can talk about memories, and you can go back and forth with anger, but at some point, there's a reality that sets in that it's never going to be the same, right? And the disciples at this moment were sitting in that, right? The disciples were sitting in a moment saying, this is never going, the life that we thought we had with Jesus and the life that we thought we were going to have because of Jesus is now gone. Hopeless. And all of a sudden, this is what happens. And we know this about death and we know this about the disciples, right? Is, is once you understand finality, if something doesn't change, usually things start spiraling out of control if you don't have Jesus, right? I mean, this just happens. And I mean, we're talking in life in general. I mean, for the disciples, things are starting to spiral. There isn't going to be a Jesus. There isn't going to be, you know, the Jewish culture isn't going to be rescued from the Romans anymore. Things are spiraling out of control. And what most people do, and this is what happened to the disciples, you go back to the only thing that you can control. Right? And that's what happened with the disciples. They went back to these places of comfort. They went back to these places where they could control things. They went back to these places where they could hold on to things. And, and they went to these places with a hopelessness, right? Like we can skip on and we can say, you know, the tomb is empty and Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. But in this moment, their whole life and all of their hope for their life had been completely lost. And for us, right, and that's why we're here tonight, right? For us who are post-resurrection people, right, people who know what happens on the other side, what do we need to do in this moment because you do know the other side of the story you do know coming on Easter Sunday we're celebrating Jesus Christ defeating death and being raised from the dead right and we're going to celebrate that together and you know that but what do you need to do today right what is it that we need to process so that when we come together to celebrate that the resurrection means what it did to the disciples at the time 
Because can you imagine that? Like, think about this for a second. Can you imagine being disciples who had went back in a hopeless state, all of a sudden seeing Jesus Christ alive? I bet they ain't sitting in their seat, right? I bet they're making sure they make it to the celebration. I bet they're, I mean, they're not sitting back thinking about an Easter egg hunt, right? Like, they're celebrating what just happened because now what was dead has now come alive, right? So how do we get to that point? And how do you get to the point when you show up on Easter Sunday, when you come to a place where we're going to talk about the resurrection, how do you get to the point? Because I would say most people in this room, right, this is kind of what a Good Friday service is, most people in this room are Christian people. Most people in this room have made a decision to give their life to Christ, and he now lives inside of you, right? And you've probably been to a lot of Easter services, right? And you might even say that year after year after year, I mean, yeah, it's Easter, and the, the, the biggest thing that we do on Easter is wear a different hat. They don't wear, they don't wear hats anymore. They don't wear hats to Life Church, but I'll bet you little girls are wearing hats somebody else, right? But you know what I mean? Like, isn't this the big deal on Easter Sunday, right? You dress differently than you ever dressed before. You dress your kids differently than they've ever dressed in their life, right? And then you show up at the church, and the greatest celebration that you could have is getting there and then getting home, right? And I'm just telling you, If you understand to the depths of where the disciples were, you're going to want to stay here, right? And you're going to want to celebrate, and you're going to want to talk through, and you're going to want to tell your neighbor, and you're going to want to go to somebody else. You're going to want to take that out to other people. You're going to want to make sure, because here's what what you need to know. See, if you get this and you remember this part of your life, just so you understand, there are other people's lives right now that Jesus is dead in their life, and they are spiraling out of control. You see, sometimes if you don't necessarily understand the depths of the loss and what life was like without Jesus, then you also forget that there are still people living a life without Jesus because you've been doing it for so long, right? You've been living it for so long. But sitting here in this Good Friday service is an opportunity for you to remember a few things. And this is how it is for me, and it's every time I talk about this, this is, what, this is where my heart goes, Right? When I look at the crucifixion and when I look at, you know, I'll never forget the picture of when the passion for Christ is when Jesus was being whipped. And he's standing there on that post and he's chained to the post. And he's being beaten. And again, this is what scripture says. They couldn't even be this graphic, although it was pretty graphic, right? But they couldn't be this graphic because he said he was beaten beyond human recognition, And at that moment when he's at that post and he's getting whipped and at what we know is his back is being filleted, organs would be coming out of his body, he would have been beaten, not just whipped, but beaten. And he could have at any moment called down a legion of angels to stop it. At any moment he could have snapped his fingers, called upon God, and it could have all been over. And the one time, I'll never forget it, he falls to the ground And he gets back up. Why? He could have stayed on the ground, not taken more of a beating. But he gets back up. And then to see him when he gets to the cross, this is the picture that's always in my mind. He just didn't get put on a cross. He crawled on the cross. What motivates a man to stand at a post and get a beating that he does not deserve and a crucifixion that he does not deserve? What motivates Jesus Christ to do those things? You know why he could crawl on the cross? You know why he could stand at that post and take a beating? Because he saw you. He looked at you. And he knew that someday, you, because of what he did, were going to have an opportunity to celebrate his resurrection. Right? But it took the pain, the suffering, the beating, and the death to make the resurrection possible. And here's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to take some time to remember something 
Because, you know, death and emotion, you know, death and, and what we're talking about incites this emotion inside of us, right? Like it's something stirs up inside of us when we know these types of things. Well, here's what I want you to think about. As hard as it is to know that Jesus Christ saw me and stood there and was beaten for me and that he went to a cross for me, you know what's even harder than that? I'm the one who put him there. And I'm the one who held him there because of my sin, because of my disobedience, because of my choices to walk away. And even in the midst of walking away, he still took the punishment for me. So the worship team is going to make their way back up, and this is something that we're going to do together. And here's what I want you to do during this time. So there's going to be four different stations. So there's two in the front and two in the back. And during this time, this is what I want us to do. So again, there's a lot of people here tonight, so you have to kind of work together if you're in the middle to be able to make your way out. But what we want you to do is make your way to one of these stations. But as you're walking there, I don't want you to just walk there with, with this idea that it's just an exercise that you're going through. Here's what I want you to walk there and do. So you're going to come up. You're going to get a little uh, paint on your thumb, and you're going to put a little thumbprint on the piece that, that uh, each one of these people are holding. And here's what I want you to think about. Don't just put the paint and don't just put the thumbprint, but when you put the paint and the thumbprint, remember this. Your thumbprint is the thing that held Jesus to the cross and the reason that he died. That because of each one of us is the reason that he had to suffer and die. Because, you know, one of the things that, that happens all of the time during when you lose somebody, and I'm sure this is for all of us when we walk through these journeys, is you always wish it could be you. You know what I mean? Like you always wish you could take the place. Like you always wish you could step in and take the place so people didn't have to suffer and other people, I'd rather it be me. Jesus is saying, this is what he did for you. He's stepping in your place. He's taking your place when it comes to the beating, to the shame, to all of those things that go with us. And so while the band's playing here at the end, you can make your way out and you can go to the back or you can come here to the front. But this is what I want you to do while you're doing that. And take whatever time that you need to be able to do this is, is that think about how your life and your sins and our disobedience is the thing that held Jesus to the cross. And those are the things that are going to continue inside of this world, right? This is what we got to remind people of. Jesus, and when we're doing it, it's not just for us. Here's the thing I want you to process. When you're putting your thumbprint up there, there's still other people. The thumbprint needs to be up there. There's still other people that their life is spiraling out of control, and they need to know, like, there's hope, right? There's hope inside of all of this. That even though we're grieving together tonight, there's hope that's going to be coming. And so I want you to not only reflect upon your own life, go back through your own journey, your own death, right? The memories of the times before Jesus Christ, the memories of the things that you did before him, and be thankful today as we go up there that he did die for you so that he could be the payment for your sin. So I'm going to pray, and after I pray, you'll be free to come up and make your way either to the front or to the back um, as a part of our worship uh, in showing uh, that we are the ones who held him to the cross. So let me pray. So Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, Lord, as a, um, just sitting in a time that for all of us, I think we tend to just jump over, and that's just the, the seriousness of where the disciples sat with a lost hope with just their dreams crushed, with a finality that would say, because Jesus Christ died, because he's gone, so are we. And Lord, as we come up and we approach uh, each one of these stations tonight, Lord, and we put our thumbprint on there, let us be reminded that what we just read about the suffering, the pain, the humiliation, all of the things that happened were because 
He loved us and he did it for us. And let our thumbprint be a reminder that we were a part of this moment, this shame, this crucifixion, this death, and that we are what held him there. And we are the ones that he died for. So, Heavenly Father, as we go through these moments, Lord, may you remind us, touch us, heal us, the things that we need in this moment. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So you can just make your way out either to the front or to the back as you are ready.
tremble 